Hi, I'm Alan Altman. And I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. From all about soul, way down to Zanzibar, it's still rock and roll, though we don't play no guitar. I'm Billy Joel A to Z. All right. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Billy Joel A to Z. Today we have a lovely guest who is a producer engineer for Questlove and the Roots, works regularly on The Tonight Show, starring Jimmy Fallon, and has worked with some unbelievable people that we will talk about eventually. And please welcome for the first time. Mr. Steven Mandel, everybody. Hello. What? Hello. Wow. This is fun. How are you guys doing? <laughs> doing good. Thanks for being good. here, Steve. Absolutely. I have no idea why you're interviewing me, but I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> we were told you seem to like Billy Joel. Oh, yeah. I guess that would make sense. Yes, I am probably one of the, the world's biggest Billy Joel fans. So. So are you one of these fans who like knows every single song or are you one of these guys who says he's a big fan like Dave, but only knows about <laughs> exactly. a third of the songs? I know a lot more of the songs than Dave. Let's put it to you. I doubt that very much. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> no, it's true. Um, but I, I, to be honest with you, my my love and knowledge of Billy Joel's catalog really goes up, to, you know, from the beginning, Cold Spring Harbor, let's say, to the bridge. Like that's my passionate era. And then after that, I mean, honestly, I don't know everything on every album or care very much about the other. There's only two more that, after that, I think. So there were three or four after, uh, uh, yeah, after the bridge. So what are we talking about? Stormfront. I think just Stormfront uh, and, River, and of River of Dreams. That's it. You did good. Uh, you know, you <laughs> you made it all. Isn't the way there through. one more? We don't Maybe. think so. Okay. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm not an expert on river dreams really, or, or Stormfront, Um, but prior to that with the bridge and going all the way back, I pretty much know every song. And that stuff was obviously influential to you and your music writing capability and your producing, right? Yeah. I mean, I grew up in Rockland County. So anywhere in the tri-state area, Billy Joel is bigger than anywhere else in the world, basically. So yeah, it's one of my earliest influences. It's like one of those artists where your first experience with music is your parents, what your parents are listening to. And then eventually you get to this age where you start to gain your own taste and start to buy your own records. And Billy Joel was from that first era for me of like, I'm choosing what I want to listen to. And it was mostly Billy Joel and Phil Collins and Springsteen things like that that's how alan got started his parents used to play greatest hits one and two in the car right along that's a little different because for me my parents introduced me to it but you're saying this was your branching out from what your parents were listening to yeah well yeah i'm sure i was hearing billy joel on the radio but my parents weren't they didn't have any billy joel eight tracks uh (laughs) they were they were listening to you know streisand and neil diamond and ann murray and i only got broadway show tunes that's all my parents listened to yeah, no, my parents were not my impetus really for starting to listen to good music. Uh, I mean, I'm generalizing. They listen to some good things. But the story with me and how I really started listening to Billy Joel was um, I must have been, I don't know, 12, 11 or something like that. And I was house sitting for a, a neighbor down the street who was away. 
one of their kids, um, Deborah Goldberg, had a. They were like the richest family on the block, so she had this really great rack system. Remember rack systems? She had a great rack. Yeah, she had a she had a great rack and a great rack system, a a great stereo system. A high fi system. Yeah, and she happened to have all the Billy Joel records from the from Cold Spring Harbor until wherever we were at that time, Nylon Curtain or something like that. And so I would just sit in her room and listen to all these Billy Joel records over and over again. And then I would take them home and uh, record them to cassette so that I could listen to them at home. And so I became very familiar with all of the records from Cold Spring Harbor through probably Nylon Curtain at that time. So, and then when Innocent Man came out, that was like the first album that came out after I had become a huge fan. So that was like the, this big moment and, and my first concert at the garden in 84, when I was like 14, uh, seeing Innocent Man with your favorite Toots Thielman was there. <laughs> oh, that's nice. One of the rare Toots shows. Yeah. <laughs> Did I the mean, crowd go crazy when this 80 year old man showed up on stage with a spotlight playing the harmonica? <laughs> well, he wasn't 80 in, in 84. He was still, he was still, um, are you sure? Know, he, he was 70. 80. Yeah. He always looked 80 though. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's, he's like Colonel Potter from MASH. I mean, that guy, that guy was always, no, you know, I was you never know, young. I heard, I heard you rag on him for the entire leave a tender moment alone episode, <laughs> but not on this is he happens to be, as you probably know by now, like the greatest harmonica player ever, you know, uh, not to mention guitar playing and whistling and so forth, but mm-hmm. um, really a jazz legend. Uh, I know it's kind of funny. It's like, who's this guy named Toots playing on a Billy Joel song, but he's a legend. I still don't know if it's pronounced Toots or Toots yeah. or Thielman's or, Thielman or uh, Hellman's. I'm not sure. That's why he's not as popular. It's really hard when you have a name that people can't pronounce. They're like, ah, whatever. We'll just get this other guy named Rick to play harmonica. <laughs> You're right, Elon. There you go. Yeah. This is why I'm not bigger in comedy. <laughs> That's why? This is um, the only reason. That's all I can come up with. I... Um, I love that. I can't believe that guy is a, like a jazz musician, but he just plays the harmonica. I mean, it's funny. I mean, we know that it's real, but it seems ridiculous in a way when you're just playing the you're just a harmonica player. And yet you are a, a very heralded, talented jazz musician. Yeah, no, he's very, very, very it's serious. When you can carry around your instrument in your shirt pocket, it just doesn't seem real. Yeah, I know. Isn't that nice? I always yeah. make fun of drummers uh, and I make fun of them. But when I see a drummer lugging all their all their gear in and tr- setting up for for an hour i always say aren't you mad you didn't you know pick up the flute instead that is exactly <laughs> what the piano mover said when they moved my piano in about two three years ago and they're like how come nobody ever wants to play the flute <laughs> they, they i don't know whether they use that line with everybody but they were very angry <laughs> the very um, piano movers they're very angry <laughs> I, I'm so excited that you got to work with Elvis Costello. That's amazing. And Elvis Costello has actually said unbelievable things about you, like in print, which is, you know, what's better than that? I know you have the Elvis Costello poster behind you. I was always a very big fan. That Spike album was one of my favorite albums of all time. Wow. Overplayed for me. So you do have good taste. I, I didn't Once in a know. While. <laughs> I had um, good taste. I think it went away. I don't know. I got too old. Yeah. I mean, so as my tastes developed back in the day, phase two or really part of phase one was, was Costello. I, I had gone to England on a school trip and came back with a, a bunch of records. And one of them was an Elvis Costello record. 
and I heard Allison. It was the first, it was just like the greatest hits record. I heard Allison and just, you know, that was it. So I went headlong into him. And then, you know, it's a very long story how, how I ended up doing a record with him. And it's all thanks to obviously the working with Quest and being connected to him and the roots. But yeah, it was a, an amazing experience, obviously. And I just, um, I was telling Dave before we started, Elon, that I'm, uh, Questlove has a podcast, not to promote my podcast or his podcast on this podcast, but Questlove Supreme has been on for five years. And uh, I'm part of the panel of people that are on that show. Just a few nights ago, uh, we interviewed Elvis for that podcast. We were at Electric Lady Studios. Dave, you, you must know where that is on sure. 8th Street. It's also a legendary place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hendrix. Yeah, so we, we interviewed Elvis there. The interview went on for four hours. And so uh, it's going to be a, a two-parter. But it, that was such a strange um, experience interviewing him because, and, and obviously and doing an album with him, but interviewing him was even stranger because I've been such a, a, a big fan for so long. And I'm sure you guys did this too. I mean, back in the day, I was, we used to make mixtapes. Uh, me and my friends used to make, make oh, mixtapes. I'm too young, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, I used and, to do that. And, and we would pretend that we were DJs. And coming up next uh, on <laughs> this mixtape uh, is Elvis Costello's Allison. <laughs> but before that, you know, let's interview Elvis. And then we would pretend that one of us would be Elvis, one way, we would pretend to interview Elvis. And then, um, you know, I find myself now actually getting a chance to to do that. And I'm sitting there interviewing him and I'm thinking about like being 15, 16 years old, pretending to interview him. I'm like, I wonder if I had any good questions back then that I could use now <laughs> during this interview. And I called my What's friend. What's your favorite and- dessert? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm on. Uh, remember that show, Dr. Katz on Comedy Central? Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a show and I I did Elvis Costello on that. It was a cartoon show. And I used to do an Elvis Costello imitation uh, that mm-hmm. I used to do in comedy. I even wrote my own Elvis Costello like song. And there's a the, couple of things that are on TV that are that are documented that I used to do a pretty good Elvis imitation. Isn't an Elvis imitation similar to uh, one of the Stewie or so from the from Family Guy? Or, well, or I one of those characters. Him, I can't do him talking. I can only do him singing. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, um, let's hear it. This is Dave Juskow doing. Oh well, his, uh, I I think I feel like I don't know whether we've ever done this, but it's like I used to do the, I used to do him doing the theme from Octopussy, uh, before <laughs> they changed it to, because they didn't want the word Octopussy in it. And be like, wrap your tentacles around me, Octopussy. It was something like. That. <laughs> I think we were doing it with Scott, Scott Ackerman because we were on Make Me Laugh together. And I think I did that on that show to try and make the person laugh. <laughs> well, there, there's this conversation to be had really about this connection or sort of a connection between the two artists, Costello and Billy Joel. And I don't really want to discuss it because, you know, the discussion is that Billy Joel lifted some stuff from Costello, you know, as you guys have mentioned. Glass on houses. Your show before. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the whole Glass Houses album feels and sounds and there's certain very specific things that harken back to my aim is true specifically and uh and some of the other early elvis albums uh like the farfisa organ and so forth but not that elvis was the only one using the farfisa but and i'm i'm sitting here this morning listening to uh i don't want to be alone which you guys did on your show and uh sleeping with the television on 
and you start to hear all I, I never I, I heard glass houses long before I heard Allison. So to me, too, I don't want to be alone was completely original. And then now I'm listening to it. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, like there's very specific things. But then there's a larger conversation, which is a conversation I had with Elvis the other night on the other interview, which which is that this is how music is made. It's how music has always been made with people borrowing thoughts, ideas, lines, vibes and all kinds of things to create something new. Because I mean, such a sampling nowadays. So that's like the whole history of music, you know, is a classical composers were stealing from other classical composers hundreds of years ago to, to make new stuff. So, it's so is the, Elvis is Elvis upset about it or it seems like he's cool with it that Billy Joel might've borrowed some ideas. Well, I didn't, I didn't ask him specifically about Billy because I, I just, I didn't want to put Elvis in a situation where he has to say, Oh, I don't, I don't like him or I don't listen to his music, but in general, uh, Elvis is fine with all of that because that Elvis does the same exact thing. That's how Elvis makes and made all of his music was from, borrowing from his inspirations and, and his heroes. So, and he acknowledges it openly and it's nothing to hide because it's, it's so obvious. This is what everybody does to one extent or another. I mean, you can sit around and think you have an original idea or that you, a melody came to you in a dream, you know, but really it's some song you heard in target last week that you just don't, you didn't realize you were hearing it or, you know, so, and there's a current situation with Elvis where, I think Olivia Rodrigo yep, sampled yep, from Pump exactly. It Up or something. And then Elvis and, completely said, listen, this happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. It just happened. Olivia Rodrigo. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, anybody who's walking around pretending that they're not borrowing from their inspirations is just kidding themselves, basically. I, mean, I did play both of the samples. Uh, I think the one they were he was they were stealing from was Pump It Up. And yeah. there is a complete similarity. But Elvis is being uh gentlemanly about it i'm so insecure i think that i'll die before i drink right but the problem with billy is and when he does it it, it's just slightly too apparent, you know, it's slightly too on this. It's not hidden enough. So it becomes more like, Oh, you know, this artist is a biter, you know, and, and this other artist is authentic and original. So it's a matter of, I mean, how much you hide. I mean, I'm a songwriter too. And, and because you know where you're drawing your inspiration from. And then it's a question of how much you want to not hide it, but you know, disguise it to the point where, the listener may not know but when you listen to glass houses it's like oh it, the the song i don't want to be alone is to me it's this amalgamation of costello stuff and joe jackson like the chorus sounds like is she really going out with him yeah mm. um so he was just borrowing things and it's like that's cool do it but don't make it so obvious where we can tell exactly what song you know you were thinking of well, so that's so, probably yeah. easier for you to tell than the standard person who's listening, you know. Well, for, yeah, if he's borrowing from an Elvis Costello song. Well, I'm just saying know. you in general, you you have that kind of ear, you know, you're a musician and a songwriter. So it's probably for the common man. They probably don't notice it as much. Yeah. I mean, I didn't notice it for the first 40 years. You know, I, I mean, it. you you know, because this is how you're and Alon's relationship on 
uh, Instagram started, but you know, I pick up on stuff that nobody should pick up on, like the mod theme, uh, which you were kind enough to call. Hey, we got a got a little Easter egg on the Tonight Show, and Maud Apatow comes out today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was for so you guys. That's what I pick up on: little TV themes or or, or Carpenter stuff, which he clearly didn't intend. So mm. I look at it a different way, but it would make sense that somebody like yourself and Elvis and other musicians would probably pick up. Oh, my God, this sounds. And a lot of times Billy Joel's also he specifically says, I stole this from, you know, the Ronettes or something. I took this exact piece, well, but uh, there's probably other stuff we don't know. But you would definitely tune into before we would. Yeah, but sake about Hollywood is pretty obvious. I mean, it's like a blatant. I didn't, you know. know. I just found that out recently, since after she died. Yeah, no, I have no I mean, idea. It's like, he, I, I guess he wrote it for her. Is his is his excuse? I think you know where he was. He wanted her to sing it, but it's yeah. a. It's just such a. Her I don't version, know. by the way, is outstanding. Yeah, her, her version. The, yeah, the E Street. I didn't. Band I didn't really like her version. I liked it. But, but it's amazing uh, that with Elvis Costello again, that first of all, that, you know, you got to write a song with him and like be credited with writing on his on the album. Uh, was it Unfaithful Music? Is that the name of the song or the album? Was it? Uh, that's the name of his autobiography. Oh, that's uh, the name of the autobiography. I thought yeah. that was an album. Uh, Unfaithful um, Music and Disappearing Ink. Uh, the album we did together is called Wise Up Ghost. Done other a uh, few other things. Um, I, I did get. Uh, songwriting credit on on most of the songs on that record but isn't that amazing uh, i mean is, did you ever think you know what i'm saying like one of those things like no no i never thought but the ironic thing uh, or the weird part is that i i'm a lyricist that's really how i started and none of my songwriting credits on wise up ghost have anything to do with lyrics it's all part uh, contribute to the to the writing of the music a few years later after wise up ghost happened a couple of years ago i finally got around to getting elvis to sing one of uh, one of my lyrics, which was uh, really kind of the the most special thing that's happened uh, since I met him. Mm -hmm. So um, I got one song of mine that he sang. It's as yet un unreleased. So um, well, next time you see him, try to get him to sing the Octopussy song. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's a great idea. We'll put we it remember on the side. Think about Elvis. <laughs> think about this, and it it is with Billy Joel in mind of the the, the Beatles that Paul McCartney I, at some point, at least in, in my mind, this is what happened in the either eighties or very early nineties, came to him and said, "Can you help me, you know, make a hit and work on my album?" I can't remember the name of the album, but I remember they were working together, and yet it didn't really work as well as it could. And then Paul McCartney returned the favor, and they worked on a song for his album. It's pretty cool when uh, Paul McCartney is seeking you out for mm -hmm. help. Uh, you know, to to make you a little bit more relevant again. Yeah, they wrote uh, like 15 songs together. Half of them ended up on Spike and half of them ended up on a Paul McCartney album called Flowers in the Dirt. Flowers and, in the Dirt. That's what it was. Right. Was that mm -hmm. the one with figure of eight? Uh, yes, figure of eight. Right? But the I think the single you're talking about is My Brave Face. Is my the... Brave Fit. My Brave, My Brave, My Brave Fit. Right. Yes. And then. Didn't he help with pads, paws, and claws? Do I have that? Yeah, correct. You do have that correct. Yeah, there yes. was a, a a wonderful correlation between the two, which is uh, must have been a, a dream for Elvis, I'm sure. I mean, it was for anybody. Yeah, well, him him working with McCarty was the is got to be the same feeling that I had working with Elvis. Exactly um, right. He, Elvis was only 33. Oh my god, that's insane! And Paul McCartney sought him out. 
Mm-hmm. At least that's what I had heard. And that's, can you even imagine? I mean, that's, that's insane to 33. Yeah. He yeah. seems like a fun guy. Who Elvis or Paul? I'm saying that's oh. what Paul McCartney's saying about yeah. Elvis. <laughs> about well, they're both guy? so they're both incredible songwriters, obviously, and and just craftsmen, and they're they're just so they're both obviously. I mean, what am I and, saying? And speaking, hey, of everybody, Paul McCartney and Elvis Costello are very professional songwriters. Controversial Apparently. take right here from Steve Mandel. <laughs> I'm going out on a limb there. I know you also worked on one of my favorite bands ever a squeeze tribute album which i didn't even know there was one and now i want to buy it well there isn't one there, there we, we uh yes um I, I was gonna ask you if you liked squeeze because i, I kind of figured you did um i and i like I, squeeze I, too oh <laughs> all right let's all squeeze each other um Hey-oh. so yeah i'm a big squeeze fan and uh i i recorded about 20 songs 20 covers of squeeze songs with all different artists with Questlove's help on a bunch of them over the years. And we haven't released a full album yet. Six, six singles have come out. Six 45 records have come out. Uh, and those are available. But uh, we're trying to put out a, like a 12-song version of the project, hopefully this year. Have you met Difford and Tilbrook or either or? Yes. I've, uh, they, they contributed to the project as well. Oh, good. Well, and, well, good. I mean, then you have oh, their complete. Yeah, I mean, they're, obviously they're, you had their blessing anyway for songwriting mm-hmm. rights. But uh, yeah, I w- that's great that they contributed. They're so yeah. talented. I still like seeing them in concert. Yeah, they're amazing. They're they're such a great live act. It's, I saw Squeeze and Hall and Oates, uh, co- like a co-bill at, at the Garden right before COVID hit. And, I saw Squeeze and Cheap Trick. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. City. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I. I don't remember if Squeeze blew Cheap Trick off the stage during that sh- show, but Squeeze blew Hall and Oates off the fucking stage. I mean, Squeeze is incredible live. Yeah, that happened. These days. Um, I saw. Yeah, Hall and Oates wasn't. They're not. It's not. They're not pulling it together anymore. I just saw them recently too. I saw them a, a double night. I saw Tom Petty first, and then Hall and Oates both at the Prudential Center one night after the other, and. Uh, the Holonos couldn't hold a candle to what Tom Petty was doing. And it was a little disappointing. And I really, really like Hall and Oates. And yeah. I love Daryl Hall's show live from Daryl's house. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know why their, their shows aren't as entertaining as like squeeze. Or, I like their opening act. I, I yeah. saw Hall and Oates at Bethel Woods about five years ago. And I told my wife, I was like, it'd be really funny. Let's go dressed as Hall and Oates. Like I'll, I got this black curly wig. So oh, like, thank oh, God. You were Oates, not your wife, right? <laughs> no. So she, she okay. has blonde hair. So I was like, you have to be Hall. <laughs> and so I was like, it's going to be great because everyone's, they're kind of like a campy kind of group at this point. Like we all love their music, but they're kind of weird. So everyone's going to like be in costume too. And we were the only people who did anything like that. And people were just looking at us like we were the strangest people, <laughs> but we stuck to it for the whole two hours. Oh my God. I'm just glad you were Oates. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, start growing that mustache. <laughs> <laughs> so Steve, uh, on the tonight show, obviously there's tons of great musical, musical guests. Who are some of the ones that you've gotten to work with or meet that have been like, besides Elvis Costello that are like heroes of yours, or that were really just like cool people or interesting people. Absolutely. Everybody uh, ever, because Everybody comes on the show, obviously, either as a music guest and uh, or uh, even better uh, as a sit in guest, meaning sitting in with the roots and uh, I mean, literally hundreds, 
and hundreds of people have come in over the years to sit in with the roots. And when they sit in with the roots, that's when I get a chance to really work with, with them directly in our tiny little rehearsal room. And, you know, when they're sitting with the band, they have to work out like six songs with them, uh, you know, from their catalog or whatever. So yeah, that's um, always been I, my question. How do you do that on a daily basis? Do you come in, uh, you know, around like, do you have to, that's a, that's, you know, a lot of people probably don't think they're like, oh, he works an hour a day. Uh, but yeah, I was always wondering with Letterman, with Paul Schaefer and everything, how that works. Do you go in around 10 o'clock and you have to choose, you guys choose which songs you decide to go in and out? You obviously have a theme for guests sometimes like Maud or something. How does that, you know, how long does that take to put together every day? Well, depending on, on what aspect of, of the job that you're talking about, I mean, some things take a day, some things take a week to prepare for, some things take a month to prepare for us, you know, but your average day, if the, if the roots are, sometimes the roots are playing with the music guest, uh, meaning as the main, you know, the main music performance at the end on days like that, we have to get in pretty early for, uh, for rehearsals and sound checks and things like that. Um, but on, on an average day, uh, and without a sit-in guest, if it's just a regular show with just the roots, you know, it'd take me a few hours to put put the show together uh, with regards to what the roots have to play. And, and if a, if a band comes in, just say as as an, as an example off the top of my head, like the Foo Fighters come in, do the roots play with them also, or is that just they just play themselves or a it's band? A, it, yeah, it's always different. Um, it depends you know, on the bands, whatever they want. I know that Paul Schaefer or a lot of the guys in his band used to be sticklers where oh, I can't allow another drummer. You know, there were, you know, that kind of, I think it was Anton Fig. He was, uh, you know, pretty, he was not cool uh, from what I've heard. Is there anything like that where that, nobody's no. like that in that band, right? They're cool. Yeah. I mean, um, if, if, if an artist wants to, wants the roots to back them up, then we usually do. And uh, if they don't, then we don't. Sometimes, I mean, there's been one or two times when, you know, a full band would be playing and the roots would be playing with them. You know, two drummers can get a little strange sometimes. But um, I think when Springsteen was there, I think everybody was playing together. You know, well, that whole... seems like he's the type of guy that would want everybody involved. That's uh, yeah. Thing, but I, that's yeah. I'm curious, I guess, if uh, you two did that, did that as well. I think they wanted the roots to seems join like the in. older guys get it because they're already there. But I wonder if some of the younger bands be intimidated, maybe you're just saying, no, we have our way of doing stuff. Obviously, the guys that you just mentioned that are established are like the more the merrier. Let's do it. Right. Well, Billy came on. Um, Billy came on once to do uh, he did scenes from an Italian restaurant with his band, you know, his full band on our floor there. And I don't believe the roots played behind that or with that. Yeah, you know, it's every 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 some every day is different. The the music guest every day is one day it's just somebody with a playing to a track. Another day it's somebody's with their band. Another day it's somebody who wants to play with the roots. You know, Elvis came on in the first for the first time in two thousand nine or something like that, and he wasn't even promoting anything. He just wanted to play with the roots. And so he just came on and, and we chose a couple of old songs of, from his catalog and, you know, did that. But um, so it's, you know, we've done, I don't know, 2,500 shows at this point. So there's been every incarnation of every variation of type of thing that we've had to do. So 
When it comes to the walkout music, is that totally your call or do the roots also have some say in it? Like, are you like, okay, like, like last week when you had that person from euphoria on, so then they played summer Highland falls, which has mm-hmm. the word euphoria in it. Like, is that all you or are the roots like, Hey, this is a good idea for this guy. Um, well, from the very beginning, it's, uh, it's always been quest who chooses the walk on music, but as time and with, with input from, from myself and, and other members of the roots, but it's always been his final call. It still is his final call, obviously. But uh, slowly as time has gone on, he's left that a little bit more to me. And I've been able to been able to choose most of them for the last couple of years, obviously, with his with his OK. Is that why uh, we're getting a lot of Billy Joel tracks? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is. It's funny. We uh, have these uh, little minions around the around the globe in the sense of like we have Alex Salkin as our friend and he is the producer of family guy. So there is always Billy Joel references in family mm-hmm. guy all the time. And then, you know, we have all these people that are in these jobs where they can throw in the Billy Joel when necessary, <laughs> which is, yeah. Great. Well, the cool thing, the, the, I love things in my life that come full circle, like something that happened when I was, and now, you know, like Costello, but uh, with regards to the walk on music, I'm a, I was a huge fan of Letterman growing up one of my biggest influences and uh and paul schaefer too and the whole element of the walk-on music paul used to choose relevant or pertinent music to whatever the person was promoting or whatever and uh you know back then he was using so many beatles songs i think that's what got my attention we can't we can't use beatles songs because it costs too much money really but um but paul would was did such a cool job i was always looking forward to the walk-on music and now I get a chance to to choose the walk on music on the Tonight Show, so it's it's kind of fun to be able to to do awesome. to do that. What I used to really admire uh, Paul Schaefer doing. And with the walk on music, after the guest leaves, I guess it's also walk out music. It continues to play even during a commercial break. Yes, sometimes. Like sometimes it goes it for a while. It's, people think it's just walk on music, but you're actually playing for three four minutes. Yeah, that's the that's the illusion, certainly, that we're trying to create on on TV, which is, you know, uh, the segment bumps out to some music and is playing for the audience the whole time while you're watching commercials at home. The audience is rocking out and then you come back from commercial. It's the same song. And it's like, wow, they've been playing this whole time, but they're not always playing that whole time. Oh, man. I was just going to say what I love is on (laughs) Letterman, how you'd hear them start a song as they go out to commercial and they'd come back and be the end of that song. And I would think, wow, that's great. They got this (laughs) awesome band. Playing them this like killer Beatles song for the whole commercial. And <laughs> you're that saying was, that's not necessarily. No, no, the case. I think that did happen on Letterman because Letterman didn't want to talk to anybody. So he wanted the music loud so he wouldn't have to talk to a guest. He was a strange man. Well, I believe that, not, that played through on Letterman all the time. I'm not trying to crush the illusion that, that this is. I, I spend a lot of time trying to ensure that illusion happens on TV with continuity of the song starting, you know, the same song that that you bump out to comes back uh, when you bump in so that it does feel like that. Um, but I'm just being honest. Sometimes they stop down because they're taking, they have to take a break or set something up or whatever, or change songs or something. Yeah. So. That's the fun of actually going to the show. You get to see mm-hmm. the, yeah, you guys need to, workings. maybe you've been before, but you should come sit in the audience. I would love that. No, I've only gone. Uh, if I have some friends that are on the show, I've gone. Back, but I've never sat, sat in the audience, or at least uh, well, I used to go to Letterman all the time when I was a kid, which was very mm. exciting. In fact, uh, Ilana and I found some footage of where I'm actually there. Andy Kaufman was there, and 
they go into the audience. Remember, Alon? Yeah, my, Andy my Kaufman Jew, was my, hugging random people in the audience, and Dave was like very close to the hugged people. My 1982 Jew fro and myself <laughs> were there. <laughs> so this is a 30 Rock, the the first yeah. show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The late night one. You mm-hmm. also got to work on the Oops, I Did It Again album, the Brit- with Britney <laughs> Spears back then. I was going to ask about that, too. I saw that in your list of things, and I was like, wow, this yeah, is, is that weird. for real? You said, wow, you didn't say oops. <laughs> <laughs> oops, um, that must be a mistake. You know, it's not far from a mistake. I mean, it's not a mistake. I I was an assistant engineer on like a horn overdub session, you know, like for, for like an, two hours. It, it, and it ends up at the top of your discography because it's Britney Spears. But, yeah. you know, um, it's no, an iconic I, album in a way. I mean, it's just kind of funny that you probably just like, what is what is this? So well, you didn't get to meet her. You were there for horn o- overdubs. I did meet her, Alon. I married her. We're married right now. And uh, you're her new conservator. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I don't. I don't remember what, what year that album's from. But I started at Electric Lady as a as an intern, what's known as a general assistant, or what's also known as a toilet cleaner, in like 1996. In the middle of '96 is when I started there. So I might have been an assistant on on that album sometime in 96 or 97 or 98 i don't know when did that 2000s album that album oh, okay so yeah but i don't remember it i just i just i know that it's on my discuss there's there's a bunch of stuff you know apparently i wrote the theme to um dueling banjos you know uh what's the name of that uh movie um with burt reynolds and yeah, john void uh, uh, deliverance uh, yeah deliverance i keep thinking yeah, of this, i don't know why some guy named steve mandel wrote that Dueling uh, banjos, so I get asked about that too. <laughs> yeah, I have it wasn't a me. Comedian friend Mark Cohen, who used to get gigs, uh, you know, at Madison Square <laughs> Garden during the day, and he's like, "Yeah, I, I would love it." And it turned out there's a musician named Mark Cohen who had a yeah. very big hit in the '90s, and he but he kept getting calls. He's like, "Oh my god, I would love to play Madison Square Garden." <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah, I mean, I'm just gonna do a dueling banjos remix and Might as just well freak just freak everyone out. You could have the roots play that as walkout music for somebody <laughs> to really get them going. No, it's okay. Yeah. I wrote it. You don't have to worry about rights. Yeah, I right. give you full permission. Speaking of, since you were talking about sitting guests on the show, uh, Mark Rivera, who is uh, Billy Joel's current saxophone, among other instruments, but saxophone player uh, since the Nylon Curtain tour, I guess. You know who Mark Rivera is, right? Yeah. Yeah, even even Dave knows. Yep. <laughs> well, we haven't gotten to the R's yet, so I didn't know if. Uh... <laughs> yeah, Mark Rivera sat in with the Roots uh, a few times uh, because he's put out some solo stuff, and he came on the show to promote that, and he sat in with the Roots. So we became close with him, and he started to get me into the Madison Square Garden residency shows. And I ended this one year, a few years back, I ended up going to like, I don't know, I think every show for an entire year i went to like 12 shows in a year and uh were you backstage or out in the audience i was well backstage before the show and then in the audience for the show that has been such a fun thing for me um because i i i I kept going and i would bring a different person every time i would go i brought my mom i brought my old friend who the one who grew up listening to billy joel together and i brought uh, that girl that lived in uh, no not deborah goldberg oh. no no i don't know where the heck she is <laughs> that'd be something um, else huh yeah it's not a bad idea but uh all my friends and everybody would end up coming with me and 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 look i mean th- th- those shows are they're great and he's great 
but he's he's kind of walking that line between like i mean well not even walking that line it's kind of a nostalgia show as they're known you know i mean old bands and old artists will tour but some of them are are still current or supporting a current album or still fresh like squeeze sounds so great and costello is still relevant and uh, you know but the billy joel shows pretty much nostalgia shows at this point I mean, he's not doesn't have any current new album or you know songs 30 or 40 years at this yeah. point <laughs> i mean i was looking at he played a show last night down in florida and i looked at the set list and it was just like no rarities or anything it was really just like the 20 hits that he plays so often there was nothing like real special in that set list yeah i hit billy joel if you're out there i really just want to i want to put together a set you know i mean every billy joel fan does just like that yeah, but you're that dream set good. So what it's would be, just, if you had a dream set, what, what rare songs would you want to hear from Billy Joel? Well, sleeping with the television on. I don't want to be alone. I mean, side B of glass houses for starters, you know, any of the filler from the stranger or 52nd street that he doesn't play. We and, talk about this all the time. And we say, you know, it's weird because all the people that are going to his shows, if they're not our age or if they're younger, you could do an entire show. Like you're just saying with those songs and people would think it was new. Because he doesn't play them often, and you know they're they're like you said the filler on the stranger. Uh, get it right yeah, the first. Yeah, get it time. right the first time. Yeah, we'd love to hear that live. Yeah, start the show with it. You know, you can't figure out why there are times where he's not getting tired of not playing. Hey, why don't well, we bring out one of these songs? We've talked about this before. We we just we don't understand how. As a musician uh, doing something like this all the time, he doesn't get tired of doing the same thing. Well, I'm sure he does. One fresh thing once in a blue moon. I mean, it's like a, with a comic who's like doing their same set every single time. And if they try a new joke and it doesn't work perfectly, they're like, oh, I better go back to like what I know works. And like sometimes you'll see Billy Joel say, you know, he's like, I'm going to play this song. I haven't played it in 40 years. And then if the audience response isn't like over the top, I think he just gets kind of scared about it and doesn't go back to it. Yeah. It all relies on that person that puts that thing up on YouTube from their phones. They're like, all right, I'm going to go to the bathroom or, oh, my God, I love this song because we've seen them both on YouTube where people are like, oh, I guess it's time to go. Well, he's he's in a very tough situation because is, how long does he have? And he's there are uh, there's a list of at least 10 or 12 songs that have to be played. Right. You know, I mean, or more, whatever. The tw- let's say he does. I, I'm just get, I'm just making up a number because I don't really remember. But let's say he does. 25 songs in a show freaking 20 of them he has to play you know or people go home saying he didn't play new york state of mind what the fuck did i spend 200 dollars for you know right he's kind of bound by that and then the other slots are just these rotating songs that nobody actually wants to hear you know like yeah, and sometimes and then he does covers sometimes which nobody wants to hear either quite frankly not really yeah i mean that's what i'm saying i would just, i would love to i would if i made a a set list for a, a show i would probably include a lot of those hits too you know you gotta i want to hear my life every time i really do but i don't want to hear we didn't start the fire ever <laughs> yeah but he played that not, last night how do you not play your number one hit of all time ironically i mean oh is it i mean yeah, i think I know it's his when, biggest hit ever it's not a song as my friend said and uh, he said this to me at the concert while listening to the song. My friend turned to me and said, it's not a song. It's a list of names. 
Billy's always liked list of songs going way back into um, what did we just do? Miami 2017, even it's like a list of New York locations. Yeah. Well, I bet a lot of songwriters write like that where you have an idea and then you just start listing things that you want to mention and sort of has that list feel to it. But uh, that song, I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I don't want I really didn't want to say anything negative about Billy Joel on this podcast because I get upset when I'm when I'm listening to <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's hear- Dave's Dave's job is to be the negative one. So. <laughs> yeah, but no, that song sucks. I mean, everyone he knows it. Billy knows it. I I still like it. <laughs> it's, what what is there to like about it? I don't know. I guess it came out at the right time for me. I don't know. Um, well, speaking of you and songs you like and don't like, what the heck yeah, is em. wrong with you? Like, I mean, uh, you hate you hate leave a tender moment alone, but you love modern woman. Yeah, I got and, a problem. I mean, I mean, no, I mean, I, I, I get it. a lot of a lot of what we like and, and what we end up liking and not liking is based on when we first heard it and what, what state of mind we were in and what experience we related to and so forth. But, you know, modern woman, come I on, love dude. modern woman. I've always liked it. I don't know why I I don't I have a strange musical taste. I'm a weird person, but we're the same age, probably. And I, I, I remember when older. that came out. OK, well, I, I mean, when that came out, that was like you said, the other day on your show, it's the first single from the bridge came out a few months before the album because it was in the movie. Right. And I heard that and I, I was huge innocent man fan. Like I, like I said earlier, that was like the the album that came out after I first become a fan. And I went to my first show for that. And so I was really looking forward to the bridge. And when I heard modern woman as like, Oh, this is what's coming. I was like, Oh, well, this is what's coming. And then when we finally bought the album and the first song is running on ice, (laughs) <laughs> which, is, which is terrible I, I was looking at my friend like we were, you know we bought the we went out bought the record went home put it on here running on ice it's like oh geez yeah. you know uh i i happen to love the bridge just because it came out you know when it came out uh, despite the production things like that but i love so many songs on that record this well, that's is the, the thing about Billy to... Joel. It's like, you know, that's his probably his worst album. I think any fan would probably tell you that. No, and yet there's no, I think, always I think Stormfront. A... <laughs> I think no, River of Dreams, think guys. The bridge ain't that great. And that yet you're always going to find three or four songs that are great because he's Billy and this is what he does. Yeah, he was just he wasn't totally cooked by the time. I mean, he was cooked, but he wasn't totally cooked by the time that, that he did the bridge. I mean, it's messed up production wise, but. There's, so there's is that something that you songs. hear, like as an engineer, you can hear like that certain production things are, are bad to you that like me as a non-engineer <laughs> would know about? Yeah, it's called the mid to late 80s. It's terrible. Well, that's the other, right. Okay, Everybody's so just that cocaine. it's an 80s album. <laughs> yeah, Wait, I was, mean, that Phil, was that a Phil Ramone album? Was that his last one? <laughs> his last so, one. And there it goes. So there you, well, there you have your reason <laughs> of why that might have been the last one. I guess he figured it out too. Yeah, well, I mean, it wasn't anybody's fault. Every, everybody's record sounded like that, you know. Was talking with Elvis about his 83 and 84 records, uh, Punch the Clock and Goodbye Cruel World, which are kind of universally known as his two weakest records. Um, yet, but the songs are great, and that's where I the came production at. is. Yeah. yeah, every day I write the book. Yeah, so every day the, the I write pro- the book. That's the one. But the production on those records is real poppy and real. It's just terrible, and so it ruins. You know, it ruins it. Uh, it dates it. 
you know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I think all that eight mid eighties stuff to me as a younger person, it sounds very like modern. Um, you know, it's trying to sound like futuristic kind of it's more electronic and not so much just like a band playing. Yeah. Modern woman is definitely an eighties song. And I guess that's why I like it, but it is dated. You're right. I mean, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. Everything you're saying is correct. And I understand where I'm coming from is just another, another place. I guess. Yeah. It's okay. Personal opinion is, you know, I mean, it's all part of it. Steve, what do you think of the production on Cold Spring Harbor? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I know the whole story, obviously, um, between the two releases, but Cold Spring Harbor is probably, besides Glass House, it's probably the one I play the most. It's probably the one I put on the turntable the most. I'm like Dave. I love the the piano ballad stuff. It's not it's not one of his greatest records. I, I just play it. I just play it very often. I I love all the got to begin got to begin agains and tomorrow is today's and i just, i love piano i mean because at the end of the day i think that's why we're listening to billy joel it's the his piano sound and his piano playing is it's yeah, very special I, I like him yeah. we were talking about uh, ben folds five and the people like that that make good piano music i'm always going to be a fan of that's why i like squeeze too they were very heavy on piano a lot mm-hmm. jules holland Oh, Jules there, Holland, uh, yeah, but he, he was only in a couple albums, right? And then he left. Mm-hmm. But his right. show on TV is fantastic, and I don't know why somebody doesn't do that here. I've been talking about that for years, the way he circles around and has the biggest of the big just waiting in the wings to play. I can't believe that's not a more popular program here. Yeah, well, I don't understand what this here and there thing now. Like, Aren't we all just on the Internet? I mean, I can't watch the Jules Holland show if I want. Uh, apparently not i don't know it's, it's not it's not found a lot yeah it's weird well I, you know with those music rights that's always going to be the problem oh okay I guess. yeah I, I saw something like i saw this thing where elvis is putting out a a version of spike a green vinyl or something like that a double thing a re-release of spike but it's uk only and i'm like what, what does that even mean at this point uk only i can't get the record like i mean i'll order it on the internet like well, what do you what is what does that mean uk release only Remember when uh, Wham first came out and they were for, they had to be called Wham UK? Yeah, and squeeze, uh, was there another Wham in the U.S.? I don't know. I don't remember, but it's all nonsense and stuff. But you're well, right. It's like with this, Billy Joel, right? With the Lost Souls and the Echoes, and they had to keep changing their name because there were right. other bands with those names. Oh, he's making, but he's making a green vinyl. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Oh my god, that's so cool. It's not the color green. It's just made out of like old trash. <laughs> it's made <laughs> out of the environment. Uh, it's made out of Oscar the Grouch's fur. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, you ever see uh, him on the old Larry Sanders shows? And they love uh, music Elvis. A lot. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's one of the great shows ever, Larry yeah. Sanders. Yeah, we 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 always play uh, Hey Now at the end of all of uh, Lon's parodies all the time. But I know <laughs> Elvis I know. was amazing in those. Uh, <laughs> he, they had him on multiple times. He was almost like a regular. Uh, yeah, the Larry. Uh, Larry Sanders show, though, if anybody's out there listening and never heard of that, it's just one of the great, I mean, yep. breaking down the fourth wall type shows. I mean, let alone half of the musical performances and our favorite thing, which is I'm sure your favorite thing, where the musical guests are part of the show. And like SCTV used to do before that, where they would have their musical guests be in the sketches and and do the bits. And that's the first time I'd seen Elvis do that. Remember, he uh, he was so remember they had that the, the premise was don't bother Elvis. You know, because I remember they were carrying around the Spike album. They wanted him to sign like, no, don't bother him. And then he was furious that nobody was bothering him. And he destroyed the uh, <laughs> the green room. 
It's hilarious. Shout out to Rip Torn also. Oh my God, he was amazing. Right. He kept calling him Elvis, Declan, Declan McManus. He kept calling him by all his names. And what that's a, one of the last question. We don't want to keep you very long on that on the album that you did with him. Why does sometimes he use a writing credit as Elvis and sometimes as Declan McManus, his original name? He used he used both variations on one album. Yeah. Like one one song was written by Elvis Costello and you, and the other one is written by Declan McManus. I have no idea. No, oh, yeah, I don't. He know wants it to though. seem like he's collaborating more with other people. <laughs> well, we all know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice that. Um, maybe uh, I mean most of the songs we it's credited to me, uh, Elvis and Quest as the songwriters. But there's, I know there's one song called "If I Could Believe," which maybe that's the one that has a different publishing name maybe he wrote that you know because he wrote well, it on his own or something i will tell you what he said about you in one of the magazines and he and he he, he said your tireless efforts to narrow the distance between our different perspectives of music and making sure that nothing was lost in translation that's what elvis costello said about stephen mandel oh he said nicer things than that well, that was. Just, <laughs> I'm sure he was, talk, he, he was talking about uh, the distance between him and, and Questlove with regards to just the making of this record. It's I was just monkey in the middle there, you know, like trying to translate between uh, and trying to connect everything. It wasn't hard, but um, I don't know I, why you're I, not giving yourself some credit. That's pretty cool that Elvis would say anything nice about anybody. It's he says lots of nice things about a lot of people, but it's very nice, um, especially to be mentioned in his autobiography, you know, just to be part of his catalog, you know, is very nice. This has um, been Elvis Costello, A to Z, everybody. This always happens, though. Whatever like, our guest is like really uh, into or what we think is the most interesting, we'll go on that and we'll mention Billy Joel like four times. Uh, it's all good. We have our quota. Um, let's say, so Billy Joel has been known to fire band members over the years. Let's say Billy Joel said, I want a new backing band and he asked the Roots to do it. Would they say yes? Well, I, I'd love to... I'd love for the first Billy Joel album in 30 years to be Billy Joel and the Roots, to be honest with you. I've thought about that, We'd like uh, that many, too. many times. <laughs> I haven't made any efforts towards figuring any of that out. The, you know how Billy has uh, a guest at every MSG show, uh, somebody who comes on, most MSG shows, yeah. they'll have somebody famous come on. So um, I was trying to get, um, and I was pretty close to making it happen before COVID, uh, trying to get Quest to, to come on at one of his shows and i thought the song the stranger uh would be a good song for quest to play on so i try i was starting to plan this thing just going to try and get mark rivera to get billy to get quest to come on the show and play the song the stranger and hopefully that would have led to uh some kind of studio recording but yes in answering well in answering your actual question no the roots would not drop everything they're doing and go become billy joel's band uh, but if it was for an album or something like that, uh, Quest is a big Billy Joel fan as well. So, why um, did you choose the Stranger? Why that particular? Just the song? the drum pattern and the drum beat. I can imagine Questlove being able to kill that. Basically. Yeah, but if Toots or Toots isn't around, who's doing the whistling? Thank you. Well, that was Billy uh, himself whistling. He wishes he had Toots on that one. He can't whistle yeah. like that anymore. Well, we'll find a whistler. I don't know where you're going to find somebody. I could, I could whistle it when we get to the stranger, which is in the tease. Obviously, uh, I'm going to give a, I'm going to try out the whistle in my uh, in my parody. But yeah, Billy Joel and the Roots, uh, you know, full album. Let's do it. 
It's been announced here, folks. It's official. <laughs> We're 2023. Billy too. Joel and the Roots. That would be something <laughs> else. Well, that'd be great. Even if he even if he just did uh, the way you're doing the Squeeze Tribute album, you know, even if he just did some covers with the Roots his of his songs, you know, that'd be terrific. We'd like to. Well, it's a that. it's it's maybe a longer conversation than you want to have. But, you know, this 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 um, question of why he stopped, why Billy stopped writing, why he stopped recording and making albums, you know, is a very interesting conversation you know i guess you could just say well you know people dry up you know just ran out of ideas ran out of motivation ran out of inspiration then there's more you know maybe it's an esteem thing you know like where i'm you know a self-esteem thing or maybe it's just like he had other interests you know i mean you might you have, have just a theory said, on that or you're just saying it yeah, could be any well, of those things my theory is that it just dried up you know it's just like he had said everything he wanted to say i think that's what he says you know he's like i said everything i want to say and uh, how many great albums can you make really uh, i mean it's unfair to say okay this guy was only capable of making this many albums or this many great albums you can't expect somebody to just have some endless career and some endless reservoir of material it's, um but it's just, it's so just a shame of, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right it's a shame but it's also it's very unheard of to be this kind of popularity that he has selling out you know these arenas every month uh for stuff like you said of never even trying a new album you know where we we know the who at least gave it a shot and you know, tried to make new albums and and then told everybody they were done and then they'd come back and all the nonsense so it's it's very special like nobody's ever done it before where they're still this popular just and constantly playing although i guess well squeeze keeps putting out new stuff right because they've never stopped touring and yet yeah. they do put out new stuff. So yeah, it's, it's just a, an anomaly that I think people are fascinated with. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's hard. He's old. He smokes. I mean, I heard he lost 50 pounds over, I heard that over, uh, yeah. over quarantine, but um, he's still fat and old to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mike dropped. That was weird, Steve. <laughs> that was well, my parody. We can't thank you enough for taking your, your time out today. We know how busy you are and you have a regular job every day. So thank you so much for it's it's Saturday, much. Dave. I'm 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 good. I'm, I know, I'm but good. and it's snowing outside, so it's a perfect day to it is just hang out, talk some Billy Joel and some Elvis. And we just well, really appreciate um, it. thank you. I appreciate you guys. Uh, like I said at the top of the show, um, appreciate you doing your show so often um, so exciting tuesdays and thursdays when you drop new episodes i just uh, admire your your work ethic and thanks for being there for all us billy joel fans out there thanks great. steve <laughs> mm -hmm. no problem send uh, send me a check for saying that uh, <laughs> Stephen mandel everybody from the tonight show joining us today on billy joel a to z so now you've heard what they thought of that song Famous last words, this podcast ran too long Stories, jokes, your hosts were full of silly anecdotes And so it goes, another show about Billy Joe.